Today, we get to finish up the book of Acts. Remember, we're in this New Testament in a year challenge, trying to read the whole New Testament in a year, five chapters a week. And next week, we read Acts 27 through Romans 3. I'm going to cheat a little bit and go all the way through the end of the book of Acts in this week's sermon. The end of the book of Acts is interesting. It's a, it's, it's a very different time in Paul's ministry. Most of Paul's ministry has been spent traveling from one city to another, planting churches, raising up leaders, and then moving on to do it again in another city and another city. But the end of the book of Acts, most of Paul's ministry is sitting in jail and going on trial. That's, That's sort of all he does, these last six or seven chapters of the book of Acts. Uh, The problem starts for Paul when he hears about a famine back in Jerusalem. And so Paul takes up a collection from the churches in Greece and Turkey and takes it back to the church in Jerusalem so they can survive the famine. When he gets there and he's kind of huddled up with the Christians who are mostly in hiding at this time, he decides he wants to go up to the temple to worship. They tell him this is a terrible idea because people are looking for him, hoping to arrest him and kill him, but he insists on going. He goes and participates in a seven-day ritual of purification so that he can worship in the temple once again, but near the end of that, the crowds figure out who he is and that he's back in town. A mob quickly gathers to seek Paul's death. Acts chapter 21, verse 30, the whole city was aroused. People came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw that the commander and his soldiers had arrived, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains, and then he asked who he was and what he'd done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some in another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd followed, shouting, Get rid of him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, He asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? This guy was confused. Paul says, No, no, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. Now, I just need to pause here for just a second because Paul is crazy. This mob, at this point, has already tried to kill him twice. He's right at the doors to the barracks, almost in the safety of the soldiers, and he says, wait, can I just have one more chance to talk to them? But he's persuasive. And the guy says, okay. Verse 40, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd when they were all silent He spoke to them in Aramaic. You can look in chapter 22 if you want to see the details of the sermon. Paul gives his testimony. He tells about who he was before he met Christ. He tells about how he met Christ. 
He tells about how his life was changed by an encounter with the resurrected Lord and how he is now obeying Christ by preaching the good news that even Gentiles can be included in God's people. And when he gets to that point in his sermon, the mob goes crazy. And the soldiers scoop Paul up, rush into the barracks, close the doors, and bar the doors for fear of the crowds. But this is Paul. No risk of life is too great if there's a chance to preach the gospel one more time to the crowds who might hear him. This arrest leads to a series of trials. Uh, The first one is before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council. There, when Paul gets a chance to speak, he says, I am here on account of the resurrection of the dead. He doesn't get to finish his sermon because immediately the council starts arguing amongst itself because some of them believed in the resurrection and some of them didn't believe in the resurrection. So they start fighting amongst themselves and Paul is taken back to prison. Some months later, Paul gets another trial. This one in front of Felix, the local Roman governor. When Paul gets a chance to defend himself, he offers no defense. Instead, he begins to talk with Felix about love and justice and self-control and about the judgment of God that will come at the end of all things. Felix didn't really want to talk religion with Paul, so he sends Paul back to prison. Felix is replaced by a new governor named Festus many months later while Paul just sits in jail waiting for another chance to speak. Festus doesn't know what to make of this preacher turned church planter turned criminal, and so he waits till King Agrippa is in town. Agrippa is a local. He'll understand all this local religious stuff better. So when King Agrippa visits Festus, he has Paul come out for yet another trial. Paul is, Paul's accusers are given a chance to name his crimes, And then Paul is given a chance to speak. And again, he doesn't offer a defense. He just tells his story. He tells who he was and how he met the resurrected Lord and how Christ's resurrection changed him. How he had an encounter with the risen Christ that set his life in a new direction. He talks about Christ's command that he give his life to preach the gospel. He tells the story of his ministry announcing to the Gentiles that they too could be included in the family of God. And then he talks about the hostility of the Jews to his message. And then he wraps up with this. Verse 19 of Acts 26. So then, King Agrippa... I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, then in all Judea, then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, he would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. It's there when Paul mentions the resurrection that Festus interrupts. 
He, he asked Paul, are you crazy? Have you learned too much and it's gone to your head? It's a good reminder that the notion that our faith is built on the resurrection from the dead still sounds crazy to many. Yet it is the foundation of our faith, Christ truly dead, Christ truly risen as the first fruits of our resurrection that is to come. Paul responds to him, I'm not crazy, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you could persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. That sentence, several weeks ago as I was doing this reading, I'm trying to stay ahead so I can work on the sermons. I was doing this reading and I got to that sentence and I just was stopped short by it. For all of a sudden it became clear to me that Paul's motivation this whole time has been completely different than what my motivation would be. From the very beginning, my motivation would have been how do I maximize my safety? How do I limit the chance of being stoned to death? How do I get out of prison? How do I avoid arrest? But Paul's motivation the whole time has been How do I preach the gospel one more time to one more room full of people who need to know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Whether it's a mob that's trying to kill him, a Roman governor who doesn't understand him, or King Agrippa who is on the verge of faith itself, Paul says, my only prayer is that everybody listening to me today might become like I am, except for these chains. Even when Paul is on trial for his life, he is more focused on Agrippa's faith than he is focused on his own life. I read these chapters. I learn a few things about Paul. One thing you learn is that Paul was changed by an encounter with the resurrected Lord. Every time he gets a chance to talk, that's where he starts. He starts with his story about how he met the resurrected Lord and that forever changed his life. And he believes that this transformation can happen to everyone. He he writes to the Corinthian church, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul doesn't just want us to believe different things. Paul wants us to be changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this transformation that Paul thinks happened to him and thinks is available to everyone, he thinks one of the implications of this transformation is that now he's got to tell other people about it. He says it right there in the text. To everyone where the reconciliation has come, that one is now an ambassador of reconciliation. And that's the second thing I learned from these chapters, is that the resurrection has given Paul 
a sense of bold urgency to reach lost people. Never once in all of these trials does Paul offer a defense of himself. Never once does he take the opportunity to bribe his way out of prison or look out for his own interests or to keep his mouth shut so he can get let off the hook on a technicality. He always, in every encounter, puts the interests of the gospel first. Uh, The people around him are advising him to stay quietly safe, huddled down with the other Christians. And still he goes to where the gospel is needed. Paul never lets himself get stuck inside the church. He always recognizes that the real work of the church is empowered by our gathering, but it doesn't happen at our gathering. The gathering empowers the church to be the work of bearing the good news and demonstrating the love of Christ out everywhere God will send us. You see, Paul never will miss a chance to tell his story. It doesn't matter what the question is. Paul thinks that the answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the justice of God's law and the truth of God's word and the hope that is available to everyone who follow him. No wonder Paul writes to the Colossian church, devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Look at what Paul asks of them. Don't pray that I get out of jail. Don't pray that I be released from my chains. No, pray that the gospel may go forward. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. Pray that there may be a door for our message. He didn't pray, there doesn't have to be a door for me. He says, I can stay locked up forever. I just want there to be a door for the message. And then he turns it to them. He says, and you, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul says, what's true for me is true for you. It's true for us, too. Do you want to know how to answer everyone? Like, wouldn't you like to know how to answer every question? Paul says, you can know that. You can know how to answer everyone. Just get totally filled up by grace. Like, just be so full that the only answer you know how to give is the answer of grace, and then you'll be ready to answer every question. Be filled up by grace, Paul says. Make the most of every opportunity. What does it look like for us to make the most of every opportunity? Well, one thing it looks like is to recognize that the mission of God is more important than our comfort. The truth of God's word is more important than our habits. The proclamation of Christ's resurrection is more important than our ease. For Paul, it's even more important than his life. It means asking of every relationship, what is the gospel opportunity that is made possible by this relationship? 
by the guy who sits two cubicles over at work? What's the gospel opportunity that's made possible by the fact that we bump into each other on our way back and forth to the water cooler? What's the gospel opportunity made possible by the people I sit with in the cafeteria? What's the gospel opportunity made possible by the people I see as I walk on the track or go to the gym? Every relationship we ask, how do I make the most of every opportunity? It means asking of every skill that you have, every talent God has given you, every piece of training God has put in you, what is the gospel opportunity that is opened up by these gifts that God has given me? All of us, Paul says, are always asking, how do we make the most of every opportunity? Listen real quickly to a story of a friend of mine who's trying to do just that. I was about to graduate from nursing school, finishing college, and looking to see what was the next step in my life. I tend to be a worrier, and when I make big decisions, there's something very powerful about sitting in my hammock, walking and feeling the dirt between your toes and the leaves and running your hand through the water that just allows you to remember that there is something so much bigger than whatever you're worrying about at the moment. And remember that this is not the end, it's just the beginning. I didn't always want to be a nurse. I had been on a few mission trips in high school and had gotten to do medical things that sort of piqued my interest, but I really wasn't super interested in it until my senior year of high school when my dad got sick and my mom was out of town. I had to take him to the emergency room. I was the one that talked to the physicians. It was in those moments that nursing for me really became more than just a career. It became something that I could use as my life's mission. One day, Ethan was talking about a church plant in Nashville, and he said from the stage, you know, some of you have the ability to get up and move and to go make a difference in this community. And I just felt myself stop, like in the middle of church, and was just like, wow, that could be me. I could be this person. And in this place, I came to realize that the next step in my life is Nashville. I am starting my nursing career in Nashville, Tennessee this summer in intensive care. I encounter people every day that need to know that they're loved, that need to know that they have hope, that they have a future beyond the current moment of stress that they're in. And while it may not be a pastor, I serve my own role in advancing the church by doing what I do every day. Every role that you're in, every position, you can use those moments as opportunities to witness. You just have to make a conscious effort every day to really live out the gospel and what it calls us to do. While you may not be able to up and move in Nashville, that doesn't mean that you can't make an impact right here in Johnson City. So I'd like to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone, to make an impact in your workplace, engage your family members, be intentional with the time that God has given you. Really just allow Him to work through you in the simplest ways, in the small day-to-day -day moments outside of the four walls of the church. Make the most of every opportunity.
Her father got sick, made her want to become a nurse. She went and got a nursing degree. She heard about a church plant. Nurses can work anywhere. So she's moving to Nashville. In fact, I think she may have already left just, just the other day. Maybe she's still here one more week. Make the most of every opportunity to advance the gospel and proclaim the resurrection. And she's right. Not all of us can move to Nashville. I'm not moving to Nashville. But there are plenty of opportunities right here. So what do you got planned this week? Do you know yet? Is your week full yet? Paul had people telling him to stay huddled up with Christians. Is that a risk for you that you might spend your whole week huddled up with Christians? Or do you have a plan that's going to send you out? Maybe you're saying, Ethan, are you kidding me? I just got to go to work. I'm going to be great, great, good. But some of us need a plan if we're going to go and engage in relationships with people who don't know about the resurrection of Christ, who don't know about the hope we have in Jesus. You got a plan this week? Do you believe that God will give you an opportunity to speak? Paul saw opportunities to speak I would have missed. I would have missed the one on the steps of the barrack. I would have been like, let's get inside fast before somebody hits me with another rock. But Paul saw it. Are you praying, maybe even right now, God, would you make it clear when I have a chance to speak this week? Would you open a door for me to tell my story and tell about the resurrected Lord and proclaim the gospel to someone who needs to hear it? I believe God would answer that prayer if you would pray it. And you could tell about the love of God and the resurrection of his son. You could tell about the hope we have in Christ Jesus, how your life has been changed. Paul had people in his life telling him to be less bold. And you have those voices too. But he knew that the resurrection had created a sense of gospel urgency that he could not ignore. And it wasn't just true for him. It was true for the whole church. You read the book of Acts. We've almost finished the book. You can't help but notice that the whole church was motivated by a gospel urgency. They understood that they were a missionary people. And that every program they started, every practice they put in place, every posture they had, everything they did needed to be as a people designed for reaching the lost and raising them up in the likeness of Christ Jesus. And that's true for FCC as well. We here exist as a missionary outpost to the people of Johnson City, to Washington County, and to our region and every program we put in place, everything we do as a church, our very attitudes toward one another and toward others need to pass that test. Do they make us better missionaries? Do they help us proclaim the gospel and speak the truth of the resurrection in our place we're going to do a big rollout next uh, Sunday uh, for our new kids program. It's called Kid Venture. It's coming on Wednesday nights this fall. Uh, we're totally revamping our Wednesday night program uh, for kids. I am so pumped about this program. It's going to be fun. It's going to be awesome. We're going to disciple kids. We're going to teach a ton of scripture. We're going to memorize scripture. I love all those things about it. But I want to tell you my favorite thing about this program. You'll get the details next weekend. But my favorite thing about Kid Venture is it is designed from the ground up to be easy for you to invite other people to. To create language you can use to invite people who don't have a church and don't know the love of Christ to enter into our community through the front door of Kid Venture. It's just going to be awesome. I can't wait to hear about it uh, next week. Because this is what I notice about Paul in these chapters. I noticed that he believed the resurrection changed his life and that he felt a responsibility 
to speak about it every chance he got. And I think that's true for us too. I believe that our resurrected Lord Jesus still changes lives and I believe that we still live with the obligation to approach the task of our missionary mandate with urgency and boldness. Our summer series starts next week, so we won't get to those last couple chapters of Acts next week, but I I don't want to leave you hanging. I want you to know how the book ends. The book of Acts ends with Paul in prison. He's in Rome now. Best we can tell, he probably died there. But yet, from a prison in Rome, he still finds a way to preach again and again and again. In every context Paul is placed, Paul makes that a gospel context. And the last words of the book of Acts tell us that the good news about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ moved forward boldly and without hindrance. A prison cell couldn't hinder the forward movement of the good news of Christ's resurrection. And that's what God wants for us. And that's what God wants for you. Let's pray. Gracious God, may it be true in our day that the good news of the kingdom of God and our Lord Jesus Christ would move forward boldly and without hindrance. O God, may it be true of us that we recognize the gospel opportunities that you have placed in our lives. Whether you've given us some gift or skill or experience that we can leverage as a, as a missionary for you, God, or whether it's just our everyday encounters with our neighbors and coworkers, would you open our eyes and give us the courage to speak of how you have changed us and how your resurrection is still rescuing people and leading us to new places. Give us that courage, God. This is our prayer so that your word may move forward boldly and without any hindrance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.